0: want to encourage you, as we dig into our learning time this morning, to open your Scriptures to um, the book of Matthew. We're going to read right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. This is, of course, the resurrection story. And um, within this story, we want to learn today specifically, and I want to speak I want to focus a little bit on the word joy this morning. And the reason that I want to focus on the word joy is that um, that word joy is a little challenging um, in a day like today than what we've maybe experienced in Easter's past. Um, uh, we are a family that has an, uh, a tradition of inviting people into our homes on Easter, and we usually have at least two, two, three, four, five additions to our family, and we sit down, and we have a ham lunch, and we have... Um, a uh, nice dessert, apple pie or something like that. And then after the end of our meal, we always have an Easter egg hunt. And our Easter egg hunts, as I've said before, in the August home are full contact. So um, we, there's, there's been fights that have broken out over eggs and where they're hidden. In the past, we've even had some some really good hiders. I'm an okay hider, but we've had people in our who've come into our home who've hidden the eggs in places that nobody expected. And that brought sincere life and joy to our experience. Of course, we're going to do the Easter egg hunt today because we're going to live in that tradition, but um, it's much different because it's the four who are in our homes, uh, Kristen and uh, Troy and Cameron and myself, and we don't invite guests because of social distancing and not gathering with others. So it's not the same joy. How do we think about joy? than in a day like today. This is not what we expect. We don't get to come into the parking lot and as we're walking up to the church say, he is risen or reply with he, he is risen indeed several times. We don't come in having um, you know, the colorful pastels on like I'm wearing this morning or sort of the Easter outfit that, that sort of denotes this level of joy. We can't come and, and see this wonderful thing that um, both the heemsters and the cowies created for us and, and blessed us with You can see it on the video, but you don't get to experience what this room is like. It's not the same joy. And yet, within that, we know the truth still is very real, of course. Christ is risen. And in fact, I'm going to put in front of you this morning that the resurrection of Christ has significant more power to bring us joy on a Sunday like this Sunday— than it does perhaps in Easter's of years past. Because as we understand more what joy is, and joy being that thing where regardless of whatever our circumstances are, we know the victory, the power, the presence, the grace, and the love of the resurrected Christ. In a day like today, that has more power for us to understand. It's more challenge for us to understand how we gain that joy and how we pursue it. We're going to do that by digging into, again, the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 28 and the first 10 verses. We'll begin with the first one. Verse 1. It says there, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. I'm sorry, I forgot to pray. We're going to pray before we enter into God's word. Father, be present with us. Move in our hearts and our minds that we might pursue joy just as the people who were first to bear witness to the resurrected Messiah. The Lord, had brought joy to them. And there were still challenges that they faced. There was still fear that they had. But they began to understand more deeply, regardless of the circumstances, that your resurrection and victory over sin and death changed everything. May we know that today. May we learn better what that is today. May we live into that joy today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Again, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene... And the other Mary went to look at the tomb. As I was looking at that that verse this week, I'm thinking, um, you know, on a Sunday morning, an Easter Sunday morning when it's sort of normal, and you're coming to church in order to celebrate Easter service with the body of Christ, you're coming usually with some level of anticipation, right? I mean, you're going to get to see the people you love. There may be some family whom uh, are visiting some of their family. You know those people. You're excited to see who might be here. It's usually a, a day of a full room where there's lots of joy and lots of excitement. You would have come to that Easter service if we were doing it normally with that sort of anticipation, right? Now, these ladies who are going to the tomb of Christ on the first Easter were going to the tomb of Jesus with anticipation, but it was a very different level of anticipation. See, they were going to go and they, they, their purpose was they were going to anoint the body of Christ with spices and anoint him with oil in order to preserve the body and do what it was that was part of the Jewish tradition after somebody had died. The day previous, of course, was the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day you can't do work, so they wouldn't have been able to do that on the Sabbath day, and they would have anticipated that on this day they would go and they would do it on the first day of the week after the Sabbath was over. But you can imagine that their anticipation was one of dread. Because they would be physically confronted with the deceased body of the one that they love, Jesus. And so as they walk, these words don't capture what that walk would have looked like. It says at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. That idea of went, they walked, they made the journey. But I want you to picture in your mind somebody who knows that they're going to something hard or tough. It's like the journey that someone might make when they're anticipating a big surgery. It Might be the sort of journey that a person takes when they're going to a funeral of somebody that they love and that they know they're going to miss. Might be the sort of journey that one takes, you know, none of us know this journey, but when you're going to go to an execution your own. It's this anticipation of dread. And these women were going to the tomb of Jesus with that dread. And so all of a sudden when they get there and they're confronted with what they're confronted with, they're moving from that spot of dread to a completely different spot in a moment us to learn what that means as we understand better what joy is, as these ladies capture joy in their experience of the first Easter, verses 2 through 4. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was as lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him. That they shook and became like dead men. Now, Again, as we read this passage, we should always be asking questions of the text as we read it. And I asked this question this morning. Now, why an earthquake? And certainly, an earthquake would seem appropriate for something as what we would call earth-shattering, as Jesus having victory over death. And that's certainly appropriate and a a great view for us to hold. But I want to say that there's more going on here in there being an earthquake than just that idea of, wow, this is an amazing event and as a result, earth shakes. For a second, turn back in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, it's verses 17 through 20. And if you read the words written there, you're going to read these words, if I can get there. 17 through 20 says this, To Adam, and if you know, this is the curse, the curse after the original sin. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Now, interestingly enough, the curse against man, or Adam here, includes creation. It says this, cursed is the ground because of you through a Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, and you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's the original curse for man. There's another curse for woman. But there's a curse for man, and that in that curse for man is captured the curse that creation knows. And creation knows that it will produce thorns and thistles and make it hard for mankind to produce some sort of living for himself and themselves. But additionally, the curse of creation is to receive the dead bodies of all of humanity. On this particular first Easter Sunday, it changes. It changes in that a body has been interred in the ground, put in a tomb, which had happened, Joseph of Arimathea put the body in the tomb. But on this day, creation gives up its curse. On this day, mankind, humankind, does not return to dust. For the first time ever in the history of all creation, one that has been received in fulfillment of the curse of creation is given up because there's victory in Jesus over death. That's why the earthquakes. Earth is the first one to give testimony to the transformation we know In Christ, in a risen Christ. The earthquake, in many ways, I hear it as creation giving praise to a risen God. This is what earth can do to shout out, He is risen. And it does it because Christ's work is not just a redemption of all humanity. Because the curse of Genesis 3 was not experienced just by humanity. It was also experienced by creation. In the earthquake, we hear creation being redeemed. Another interesting note is that the guards fall. What is the word that it says? They became like dead men. And it's interesting too, they're bearing witness to an angel And just so we're all clear, angels are creations of God. They are not, they are heavenly beings, but they are not eternal beings as God the Son and the Spirit are eternal. And even in seeing the angel of God coming to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, these men fall as if they're dead because they're overwhelmed with what they see. That's a creation. But the Messiah himself is yet to show up. Now, I was thinking this week even about how creation continues to live into the redemptive work of Christ. And I was thinking about that because, as, as many of you know, with um, some of the changes in our culture, in our society right now, that there are, there's less travel, right? I mean, all of us have probably driven less than we ever have in the past 20 years, Um, Kristen and I sort of laugh. We've saved at least five tanks, maybe probably double that, 10 tanks of gas since the pandemic began. We're not driving Troy to soccer on on, uh, weekdays. Um, We're not going different places. I'm trying to remember the last time that I left the city limits of Redlands. And honestly, I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I left the city limits of Vernon. So within that there's changes that are happening. Well within those changes and you may have heard there's changes happening in creation that the air is clearer than it ever has been in the city of LA in the last 50 years. In the last 50 years, there's been smog and there's been pollution from so many airplanes and so many cars that have been going and industry. And a lot of this stuff stuff is shut down. Creation is renewing. That they're saying that there are wild animals that are beginning to take over some areas that weren't they weren't there before. Creation is continuing to live into the renewal of the curse being redeemed through a resurrected Christ. It's still at work. It, if it were something that we stayed in our homes forever, it wouldn't be long before the weeds would come up, the trees would grow in different places that they're not before. It's sort of funny actually right now. If you drive around the city of Redlands or even your own community, wherever you are, if you go to a school... And you look in the parking lot of that school. You know what you'll see? Lots of places where weeds are growing. We're not far from Smiley School. Kristen and I do our walk regularly. and We walk right by Smiley School. And as we walk, we're noticing these are not like small little tufts of grass either. These are getting to being like a foot, two feet tall. Because creation continues to renew itself. Despite the fact that that there's brokenness in the world, creation shows us that God is still in control, renewing his creation, renewing his people for all things. And we can be reminded in creation living into this pandemic in a different way than we are, that creation itself is living into the joy for which God created it to continue to express life. And to worship God with the way that creation was designed. We can do that despite the fact that we're surrounded by the sickness, the virus, the social distancing. We too can continue to spring into the joy of the life that God has for us. That's part of the victory of Easter in us. Is that we are reminded that in Jesus life can come from death. Wholeness can come from brokenness, and even in a pandemic, new things and joy can come. Let's continue reading verses 5 through 7. It says this, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples— he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So we get the conversation, which one of the, one of the most interesting statements, and I, I think I've, I've said this before. The angel says, do not be afraid. This is the same angel that scared the guards so bad that they're as dead. So you can imagine these women who are already coming with with this level of gravity and weight, anticipating seeing the body of Jesus. Now all of a sudden they're create, confronted with this incredible, beautiful creature standing before him, before them in all this glory. You can imagine that that phrase, do not afraid, yeah, like right. Forget that. We're terrified right now. And and he walks the angel walks the women sort of through this process of understanding what they're bearing witness to as the first humans who begin to hear the truth of a resurrected Christ. He starts with the information. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Here's the information. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. That's information. And he's making sure that they know, here's what you need to know today. But then he moves. The angel moves. He says confirmation to them. He says this, come and see the place where he lay. He's giving them an opportunity to see and know what it is that is happening. Information, confirmation, and then finally he calls them to proclamation. You're welcome, Bill Bierling, by the way. You'd like that. Information, confirmation, proclamation. He calls them to proclamation. He says, then go quickly and tell the disciples these words. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So this movement of the angel to the first first people to understand and know about the resurrected Jesus has, has these movements, information, confirmation, but then he moves them to proclamation. You can't just receive what you know. You have to do something with it. Now, their instructions are to go to the disciples. Tell them... And eventually we hear that the disciples are instructed. I was just looking at the book of John this morning. And when Christ shows himself to his disciples, he says the same thing. I send you just in the same way that the Father sent me. Now you're going to go and do my work. So that proclamation begins with these women. Then it goes to the disciples. And then it goes out to the world. And it goes to us. So you and I are hearing the words this morning. We're receiving the information We're getting confirmation that Christ is risen, and now we're being called this morning to proclamation. We're being called to go say it. One of the beautiful parts about Easter morning, and many of you notice this, is on social media. You see many of your friends and people that you know saying words like, He is risen posting Easter passages, posting pictures of, of worship or, or something that they're doing to live into that proclamation of Easter. But But the challenge is even greater because it's more than that, right? We're called to go into the world that we know and proclaim the truth of the resurrected Christ. We receive the information that's been confirmed in our lives that we know the power of the grace of Jesus. And now we're called to go and speak it to the world around us. But there's a barrier. And it's a barrier that all of us know. And if we look at this passage clearly and carefully, we'll see that it's a barrier that Christ and the angel confront in this passage. And we need it to be confronted in our lives. And if it's not, it takes away our joy. We'll grab it here in this last section, verses 8 through 10. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, which again is one of those statements. And when you say, greetings, like a nice little happy statement, you got to imagine these women were just blown away by it. He said, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. So in the first section up until verse 8, We hear the women getting, they get the um, information, they get the confirmation, then they get called to proclamation, and they're going to go do it, but almost. How do we know they do it almost? Well, they do this. They go, so the women hurried away from the tomb, verse 8, afraid. Why is that word important? Afraid. What did the angel commanded them? What did the angel said? He said, do not be afraid. And yet, here the women are afraid. And then he says it... what else? We're, we're, the, the guards. This is the theme of the whole text. The guards were afraid. The women were afraid. The angel told them not to be afraid, and yet they went away from the tomb afraid. Enough that Jesus, when he greets them, says it to them again. His first words are Do not be afraid. His first words beyond greetings to the, to the women is, do not be afraid. And that is not just, to me, a command for the moment. It's not just a command, you've seen a, a, a dead body raised to life for the first time, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Yeah, there's a part of that there. But there's much more of that in the connection between the first command, do not be afraid, and the second command. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He's saying to them, in your proclamation, don't be afraid. In your sharing the story, don't be afraid in you being a person whose life has been transformed by Christ's death or Christ's life over death, victory over death, for you and I not to be afraid to proclaim and be obedient to that proclamation. Now, I come from the tradition that many of you come from. How have we lived into that? The proclaiming part at least. we've, We've done it good within the community oftentimes, right? We do it good within the community. We can go here in this place and we can walk up on Sunday morning on an Easter morning and we can say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. But could we do that down at Albertsons? Could we do that at the soccer field when soccer resumes? Can we do that in our school rooms? Now, again, I don't want to get too crazy here. I don't want to for us to become people who shove religion and shove our faith down people's throats in such a way that they can't receive Jesus because what we're living into doesn't come with love. But I can say this that our Engagement with the world around us needs to continue to be shaped and formed by the command of proclamation because that's exactly the job that Christ gave to his first disciples and continues to carry through the baton passed from generation to generation all the way to us. We're living into that same command of the first Easter And that command had two components that these women heard. The first one was, do not be afraid. The second one was, go and tell. So for you and I not to be afraid to go and tell. For us not to be fearful about bringing Christ out in our lives and our words. Because the challenge, of course, is, right, that we're afraid to. We're afraid to insult others, right? We're afraid to step over the line. And it's fair. I get it. I don't want to go and I don't want to take this as, um, you know, in my hands, my Bible. I don't want to take it and go down to Albertsons and even with my, well, I'm wearing a face mask so people might not know who I am. Just come behind people and smack them across the back of the head with it. Say, you need to know Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what we're called to. But what we are called to is to aggressive proclamation with the love of Jesus. And those two phrases are not mutually exclusive. Your love for Jesus message can go out aggressively, even in this season for you to be able to go to your, and many of you have. Wonderful. I'm so glad you have. You've gone to your neighbor's homes, and you've checked on them, right? How many in this room have done that? You've gone to your neighbor's house, knock on the door. How you doing? You're doing okay? You have everything you need. Awesome. So glad you have. Add one more phrase, one more question. How can I pray for you? Changes the conversation, doesn't it? It moves it from a conversation just of wellness or well-being to, I want to bring you into the presence of Jesus. You may not be a participant in it, which is okay. They don't have to pray with you at the time. If they will, God be praised. Do it. But here's what I can tell you, that almost never, when I have asked to pray for people, and I have done so in a lot of different contexts, I have never had anyone say, no, please don't pray for me. They may not say, hey, pray for me right now. Let's join hands, kneel together in whatever context we're in. They may not ask me that. But they do appreciate the prayer. It moves that relationship and that conversation to a proclamation relationship. For you, when you do interact with your neighbors, when you do give a blessing, and I know that some of you are really good. Some of you have sewn face masks all over the place. I've gotten a gift of a face mask from a member of our community. So grateful for it. Um, Some of you have, and you've brought some of those face masks to your neighbors or to people that you know, people that you work with. Some of you have have purchased food down at the grocery store and brought it to your neighbor, or maybe you were like my family. We got challenged to go teepee another family. It wasn't throwing toilet paper on the trees. It was actually giving them a package of toilet paper. So that's how we teepeed. And we did teepee someone from our community, and, and we brought them toilet paper. But when you give and when you bless a neighbor, perhaps you just give a note. It says something along the lines of, I'm praying for you. May you know blessing today. May you know that I care about you because I'm cared about. Those phrases and those ideas of bringing Jesus even into those challenging conversations and challenging relationships that we have with our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends is a way for us to live out the obedience to go and proclaim. But the first command needs to be obeyed. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid do it. You may be fearful of another's judgment, of a person viewing you as a Christian crazy. And believe me, I see a lot of Christian crazies in the world. But if we do so with love and tenderness, with respect for what God is doing in that person's life, and we simply want to be included with it And within that relationship, we have a desire simply to bring Jesus into it, to be obedient to that command to proclaim. God's going to honor that. I don't know how he's going to honor it, but he will honor it. He will use that in such a way for his glory, because that's the kind of God he is. Well, friends, how do we think then about where we're afraid? I'm just going to close with this idea. I think that we're afraid because we're not fully engaged with the joy of Christ. I don't think when we're afraid to tell somebody else for fear of their judgment in our lives. I, I don't think that when we are afraid that way, that we have lived into and experienced the fullness of the joy. Of Christ. These women, these women, when they finally got over the hump, when they were confronted with the words of Jesus, what did they do next? They went and told. They obeyed. They bore witness to that thing which had changed everything, and there was nothing that they could do but obey because their joy was full. Every part of themselves was changed by the resurrection of Jesus. And when everything about us is changed with the resurrection of Christ, our joy, this is one of those biblical phrases, is made complete. In its completion, we are empowered to move beyond fear. We're not afraid. We're not afraid of what the world thinks, what anyone else thinks of a person's judgment. What we do in love, what we do in the fullness of joy, what we do out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, we're moved beyond our fear. And we say, Lord, you're gonna do what you're gonna do. You're gonna gonna take this and you're gonna take this offering, you're gonna take this sacrifice and you're gonna do with it what you will. Friends, my challenge to all of us today is how much, does Easter bring you joy? Not just today. Not just on this day when we can easily and regularly say He is risen. He is risen indeed. But in all days where that resurrection power is real, transformative, redemptive, and present in all things, if that's the power that we have, can our joy be complete? to move beyond our fear and with everything that we have and all that we are proclaim to the world a risen Christ would you pray with me Father our joy has been made complete in the risen Christ it is for us to acknowledge it and be empowered by that joy Be empowered by that life, that grace, that love. In such a way then, Father, that we can, without fear, proclaim to the world who you are. I ask, Father, for courage. Because there are moments and times when we are fearful of that. We're fearful of what the world might think. Are we a Christian crazy? Are we pushing the limit? Yet, Lord, what we do in love, but also in faith, you will honor. I pray that, Lord, you empower us today. Even in this moment, put people in our mind that we can bring into your presence. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a family member. We can remind them, Father, that you are God and that you have given them the gift of grace if they will but acknowledge you, worship you, and accept that gift for what it is. Father, this is work that you alone can do in us, empowering us to courage, to move beyond our fear. We ask that you do it today in Christ. Amen.